When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Social Security is one of the most complex and confusing federal programs. With over 2,700 rules, it's no wonder that we're confused about when and how to start collecting and who to turn to for help. Welcome to Social Security Answers from the Experts, hosted by Martha Shedden. In this podcast series, Martha meets with professionals to provide you with the answers to questions about this most important financial decision. And now, here's your host, President and co-founder of the National Association of Registered Social Security Analysts, Martha Shedden. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Martha Shedden, and today I am speaking with Kevin Robertson. Kevin is a Senior Vice President and Chief Revenue Officer at HSA Bank, where he's responsible for leading the growth strategy and organization of the bank. He has more than 20 years of experience in banking, insurance, and financial services, and is well-versed in issues related to Social Security, health savings accounts, benefits, and retirement. Kevin was also a self-employed large insurance business owner for 12 years and a FINRA registered representative and principal for eight years. He is a recognized expert and well-known figure in the consumer-directed healthcare industry, especially for his legislative and regulatory efforts as Compliance Committee Chairman for the American Bankers Association, HSA Council. So welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's start with the basics here. For those in our listening audience who may not know or would like to more, know more details, what exactly is an HSA and who needs to know about them? Sure. So HSA is just an acronym for Health Savings Account, uh, which is really more than just a, a bank account that is used for health savings. It's actually part of a larger strategy around uh, consumer-directed healthcare, or CDH for short. We love our acronyms in our industry. Yeah. Uh, and, and the concept around consumer-directed healthcare is empowering uh, consumers to take more control of their healthcare decisioning. It is really the marriage of two different components. First of all, is a particular type of health plan that fits certain criteria as that is defined by the IRS that has a minimum deductible, maximum out-of-pocket, and meets certain provisions for uh, cost containment, exposure, deductible, and such, right? And those are called high-deductible health plans, although that name is kind of a misnomer today because when they first brought HD, HDHPs or high-deductible health plans out, they um, were, you know, typically higher than traditional uh, uh, plan counterparts. However, today and really over the last uh, 10 years, uh, the traditional market deductibles and out-of-pockets have actually risen at a much higher rate than HDHBs. So today, the lines between what is in a high-deductible health plan and a traditional plan are significantly blurred. In fact, they pretty much don't exist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so that, that's really the first part of the puzzle. 
The second part of the puzzle, again, is the actual HSA itself. So when, when you hear somebody say, oh, I have an HSA, they're probably talking about the larger combination of the health plan and the health savings account. Now, focusing on the actual health savings account itself, uh, it is the only triple tax advantaged uh, instrument in existence today. What I mean when I say triple tax advantage is um, it any money that is contributed to the HSA on the front end is done so on a, on a tax-free basis. So any contributions that are made uh, are either done, if they're done, for instance, through your employer in a payroll deduction, they're done on a path on a tax-free or a pre-tax basis. If you make contributions on the back end as a, uh, you know, for instance, just making a contribution and I, I take that and claim that on my taxes when I file my taxes with the IRS, that is a uh, post-tax contribution. But again, it's done. I still get it as a tax deduction above the line uh, when I file my taxes. So that's the first of the three tax advantages. The second tax advantage is while it's sitting in the HSA, uh, earning interest, or if you're investing it, earning returns, it grows on a tax-deferred basis. And that's the second. And then the third and final tax advantage is when you go to take that money out. If you're using it for a qualified medical expense, it is tax-free. And uh, if you are using it for something other than a qualified tax, uh, uh, qualified medical expense, uh, you do have to pay normal income tax on it. And if you're doing that prior to age 65, there is a 20% penalty on it. Um, however, if you go back to the whole concept around health spending accounts, uh, really what we're trying to do is by uh, having a particular type of uh, deduct of a um, health plan that is paired with an HSA, uh, what you're typically saying is I'm going to take a, maybe a higher deductible than a, a, I traditionally would have done in a normal plan. I'm going to get some tax advantages for that higher exposure, but then it allows me to contribute to that HSA, grow balances, invest that over time, keep that from year to year, and use those dollars as I see fit in um, my healthcare spending and savings to better fit my lifestyle, not only today, but my future needs and my needs in retirement. The best way to think about this, and, and in doing so, I, I should lower my overall costs. And it also, uh, you know, maybe monies that I would have been putting towards planned premiums, I'm still instead going to be putting those into an HSA and using those to help me grow, you know, funds for uh, other needs, my healthcare out-of-pocket expenses now in the future, or maybe I want to supplement retirement income if I don't ever use those for health spending account or uh, health, health uh, expenses. Those are all your decisions to make. So that's the concept behind an HSA. I know that was a, a large answer, but it's really more simple. I mean, it's, it's much more complex than just being, oh, it's just an account for savings for healthcare. Yes, uh, you're certainly right about that. And I ha I'm glad you described that triple tax benefit because that was, that was one of my questions for you. So I admit, I, I think that I'm a bit ignorant, but I didn't realize that there could be an HSA bank. So does this mean that all the accounts at the bank are HSA accounts? How does sure. that work? Yeah, so uh, we are definitely the beneficiary having been in the industry since the essentially the dawn <laughs> of yeah. the industry yeah. to be able to get a name like that that is so closely tied to the product. Um, really, what Prior to the existence of HSAs, HSAs came in and were enacted in January 1st, 2004. 
prior to that, they were really structured in something similar as a pilot program that was launched in the mid 90s called medical savings accounts or MSAs. So uh, I'll be honest, originally we started as MSA Bank. (laughs) Oh, okay. And at that time, all we did was focus on MSAs. And then, of course, when HSAs came into existence in 2004, we rebranded to to HSA Bank. Uh, And then, oh, probably about a decade ago, we started um, introducing other uh, consumer-directed healthcare accounts uh, administration into our repertoire. So we started serving, uh, for instance, uh, flexible spending arrangements uh, or accounts, uh, health reimbursement arrangements, uh, started doing COBRA administration, and really anything associated with the account-based health plan administration as really an offshoot to our HSAs. I'll be honest, HSAs are still our primary product and by far the lion's share of what we serve today. We serve more than three million customers, for instance, just for HSAs. But, you know, so we never forgot our roots from that standpoint. It's definitely our focus, but we we do actually sell more than HSAs today. Okay. So you are the only HSA bank. Yes. So there are other administrators (laughs) in the HSA industry that might be a bank. However, there is only one HSA bank, and that's obviously a trademark that we own. Okay. Well, we are honored to have you here with us. (laughs) Um, So this is a double-sided question. Uh, How are they related to retirement issues and how do HSAs work with Medicare? Yeah. So uh, excellent questions. I'm going to take the the first one. You know, really um, how they relate to retirement is really a, a they are probably, I would argue, the the most powerful way to save and spend for health spending needs throughout your life. If you stop and think about it, because of that triple tax advantage that I had described, there's really no better way to be able to save and spend for your healthcare needs. When you also take into consideration that, you know, throughout our lifetime and what I'll call our life cycles, our specific needs around healthcare spending and savings are going to change, right? So mm-hmm. if you stop and think about, you know, turn back the clock, um, maybe when I was a, a young new professional, you know, kind of young invincible, whatever you want to call it, uh, I probably didn't have many healthcare spending needs, right? You know, maybe after I got married, maybe at immediately there wasn't a need or a different need other than the fact that you now had a spouse uh, to can take into consideration. But then eventually maybe you started a family. And at that point, if, if you hadn't already, your healthcare spending is going to change. Yes, it is. And you have to, you know, think and act for the long run in that process and thinking through, you know, hey, how, how are my needs going to potentially change? And as, as we know, because time value of money and, you know, the availability of, of our, you know, earning years versus our earning years and income versus expense, you know, the earlier you start saving and the more you put away for future needs, the more powerful it's going to be. Then starting to, again, the next evolution of life, you know, again, maybe my, my children are no longer young, maybe they're, you know, in a, heading off to college, you know, starting their own family, so on and so forth. Well, then, then I kick into retirement preparation mode, right? And it's probably a, a catch up period for a lot of people like, oh, maybe I didn't put enough away. Well, again, recognizing that the lion's share of your healthcare spending needs are actually going to be incurred during your retirement years and recognizing the uh, hundreds of thousands of 
dollars of assets that I might need just for healthcare in retirement. Again, HSAs play a critical role to be able to help stretch that healthcare dollar further and afford those uh, those expenditures. Um, so again, I think HSAs can play a really critical role in a person's preparation for retirement simultaneous to helping them be prepared for um, the current iterations of spending and savings that happen throughout our lifetimes, because again, it's going to change. So that answers hopefully your your first question regarding, um, let's say, thinking about HSAs in retirement. I think the second question was implications to somebody that may be, for instance, in retirement, you know, on Medicare and on Social Security, whatever it may be. So there, HSAs have, a, again, a tremendous role to potentially play. Um, remember, I had talked about their ability to be used for qualified medical expenses. Well, what might surprise a lot of people are what are qualified medical expenses. Of course, most people are aware of like, okay, I I have a prescription. I go to the doctor and I have to pay for the doctor visit. I have an injury. I have to go to the emergency room. And that's your typical uh, logic around what qualified medical expenses are. However, uh, the IRS definition of what's a qualified medical expense actually goes significantly beyond that. For example, uh, anybody that was paying Medicare premiums, So Medicare, obviously, currently, Medicare A does not have a premium, but let's say, for instance, I'm on uh, Part B or D uh, or and D, um, those are going to carry premium costs each month. Well, one of the things that I can use my HSA dollars for as a qualified medical expense is to pay for those premiums on a pre-tax basis. In other words, uh, I get to stretch my healthcare dollar further because I'm paying for those expenses on a tax advantage basis. And considering, you know, you stop and think about somebody that uh, might be paying Medicare premiums for not just months or years, but even decades. Oh, yeah. Retirement, uh, you know, having that option to be able to pay for those expenses at that time on a tax advantage basis is, is hugely powerful. Right. Right. Um, another important attribute that it would be really helpful to uh, a person in retirement or potentially on Social Security is remember I talked about the lifetime of healthcare spending and saving that people are naturally going to occur. One of the unique powers of an HSA and one of the very significant differences between an HSA and some of those other products I was talking about, like FSAs and HRAs that probably more people are familiar with, uh-huh. those have a finite time frame where you have to seek reimbursement. They typically follow the calendar year. Okay. Right. HSAs are not that case. There is no time horizon by which you, when you have to reimburse yourself for those expenses. So again, one, another powerful attribute of HSA with, again, thinking about how you can apply this well into retirement and retirement preparation is I could, as I go throughout my lifetime, I might save up thousands of dollars of expense per year and do so over a period of, again, decades. If I wanted to, I could save up all of those expenses that I may have been paying for with a a different form of payment. I save up all of those expenses. I can reimburse myself at any point in the future, and I can do so all at once if I wanted to. So if I wanted to save up, let's just say I had, I don't know, say $5,000 of expense per year on average, 
right? And I was going to do that over, uh, you know, the next, you know, say 20 years, I could actually take $60,000 if I wanted to, I could take all of that all at once at a reimbursement tax-free at some point in my retirement. I could do it all at once. I could do it a little bit here or there. There's no implications at that point to my income. Remember, because at this point, I'm just taking a pre-tax reimbursement, right? There's no ramifications whatsoever to me. And there's no time restriction for that as well, too. So it's something to, to think about, um, you know, again, the adaptability and flexibility and longevity of an HSA is really unmatched in the health spending and savings arena. So that confuses me. If you if you um, you're able to add those all up, did you have to have your HSA set up before you incurred those costs? Again, if I if I uh, if I'm covered by an HSA uh, health plan, right? So the requirements to contribute money to an HSA are very very simple. I first have to be qualified. I have to be covered by a qualified health plan, one of those high deductible health plans. And when I'm putting money in, I cannot simultaneously be enrolled in any other health care coverage that would afford those premiums, or not premiums, those expenses being paid prior to my deductible. I cannot be enrolled in Medicare and I cannot be claimed as a person uh, on somebody as a tax dependent on somebody else's taxes. If I can meet those four requirements, I can contribute money to an HSA. Once the money is in the HSA, though, there's no restrictions on what what type of plan I have to have. There's no restriction on when I take reimbursements. There's no restriction. So the restrictions around an HSA are really on how to get new money into the account, not necessarily how or when to use those on distribution. Um, So that's a really great question. So for instance, uh, I'll just use my own personal experience. So I, every year I I have three kids and I have uh, a special needs child. So needless to say, I spend a lot, (laughs) I spend a lot on healthcare every year because I know no matter what um, I do, even if I just, if I just go through normal life and nobody gets sick or hurt and has to go to the doctor, I know I'm going to have 32 office visits and uh, 36 prescriptions every single year, no matter what, because that's how many doctor visits my, I know my special needs uh, child and prescriptions they're going to have they're they're going to have that whether I do anything right so I hit typically my maximum uh, my hit my deductible my maximum out of pocket maximum out of pocket every single year and so I I'm going to spend and I'm just just for a nice round numbers let's just call it five thousand dollars okay I know that I'm going to spend five thousand dollars a year regardless um I can contribute at least $5,000. Now, I, I, if you can contribute up to the maximum limit for my, in 2022, the maximum contribution limit for somebody on a family uh, HDHB is $7,300, right? And then if you're age 55 and above, you can put an extra $1,000 catch-up contribution in. So if I'm on a family plan, I can put in $7,300 plus another thousand. And then if my spouse is also age 55, they could also put in another thousand into uh, an HSA as well too. Um, But let's just ignore that for a minute and let's just still stay with the $5,000. If I were to, uh, again, have that same $5,000 of uh, expense and I was to have that same $5,000 of expense for the next, we'll say 20 years, 
that would be a hundred thousand dollars that I have ex incurred expense, right? If I, uh, again, I pay for those expenses on another form of payment, I save those receipts and I can keep that in a, you know, imagine if you had a, a, a shoebox with all of the receipts and I save up all of those receipts. And when I enter into retirement or any time thereafter, I could take $100,000. I could take it in a lump sum. I could take it a little bit. I could spread it however I want. I could take $100,000 at any point as a tax-free reimbursement to myself for those expenses. That wouldn't count as income? Nope. Because again, it's a reimbursement for expense that I've already paid. And it wouldn't matter at that point. Remember, there's no restrictions on how I use the money on the back end in terms of health plan and so on and so forth. If I'm reimbursing myself for a medical expense, even one that happened decades before that, there's no ramifications to me from income. There's no requirements for age, for health plan or any of that stuff, it, quite honestly, I could be on Medicare or not. It doesn't really have any bearing on me whatsoever. Well, you, you, but you mentioned, and maybe I misunderstood that um, you can't be on Medicare. There's something about. Yep. That's the only for the qualifications of putting new money into the account. So I would have had, so I went on Medicare a couple of years ago. So I would have had to have set up the HSA prior. Correct. Okay. Yes. So this is a big a big notice out there to our listeners to set this up when you're younger, right? Yes. Yes. So as soon as you go on, well, presuming that you were to stay on Medicare, right? Um, as soon as you were enter into Medicare, which for most Americans today or the vast majority of Americans that happens uh, generally the month that you turn 65 in a right. traditional sense, right? right? Again, there's many, many, uh, many Americans are actually not enrolling in Medicare at age 65 and actually pushing that out. Um, I'll talk about some ramifications there because I think there's a couple of nuances that um, people, your, your listeners should actually really be aware of. But generally speaking, you know, once you go on Medicare, you're probably going to stay on Medicare, at which point, as soon as you're eligible to have claims actually paid on your behalf by Medicare, your ability to contribute to an HSA would cease. So you're right. This is definitely something you don't want to wait on. If you are interested yes. in learning about how to take advantage of an HSA, it's definitely do one of those now. you do not want to wait on. Because so. I know, I know I've heard that, that you cannot, it's not the high deductible, um, well, darn it. I now, I will tell you that there are efforts within uh, legislative arenas in uh, Washington, D.C. to actually introduce uh, option within uh, Medicare, uh, either through traditional Medicare or Medicare Advantage to actually allow for uh, HSA contributions. Um, there is also... Uh, Representative uh, Ami Barra and Jason Smith. Ami Barra is a uh, Democrat from uh, Sacramento and uh, Jason Smith is Republican uh, Missouri. They actually jointly sponsored in each of the last two Congresses a, uh, a bill that was uh, seeking allowing any Medicare enrollee the option of contributing to an HSA. Uh, again, it's like most bills, they you know that they haven't gone anywhere yet. But I would say that there's um, it's, it's getting a lot of attention. In uh, from yeah. both aisles, of, you know, both sides of Congress, and I, I'm hopeful that we'll see something like that in the future, or at least uh, allowing working seniors that, for instance, um, may only be on Medicare A because it was tied to their beginning of uh, collection of Social Security retirement income benefits, um, the ability to continue to contribute. So neither one of those provisions is 
currently law yet, but let's keep our fingers crossed because I, I think it's definitely something that will help uh, seniors and any really anyone on Medicare, again, stretch those healthcare dollars further. And on the, the other side of that, with all this triple tax benefit, do you hear any rumors about anyone wanting to do away with that? Like, seems like- <laughs> yeah, no, that, I could absolutely see that as a counterpoint. No, there's, there's quite honestly, um, you know, there's more than 30 million Americans today that are uh, actively own HSAs. Uh, yeah. And then if you stop and think about most HSAs are used for the benefit of more than one person, you know, for instance, myself, in my case, I have my wife and three children that we, yeah. you know, I could use my HSA for. So even though we only have one HSA in the house, it affects five Americans, right? So if you were to take the 33, the estimates are right around 33 million HSAs in existence and multiply that times, I think there's, you know, about two, 2.1 or 2.2 people per household, somewhere in that range, it probably impacting about 70 million Americans. So uh, I would say, um, while, you know, there's no guarantees that nothing will ever happen to, uh, you know, HSAs, I think if, if you tried to take something away from 70 million Americans, (laughs) That's like, it's like social security and Medicare. It's not, we're not going to allow it. Correct. It's, there's too many people that have, and there's too many people that rely on them to have something completely take them away. And to tell you the truth, I think any, you know, not that anything couldn't happen, quite honestly, I've not seen any, you know, recent legislative efforts to try and do away with HSAs. In fact, at every step of the way, if you look at the Affordable Care Act, if you look at, you know, provisions that have been uh, enacted, you know, since the Affordable Care Act, and even if you look to uh, elements of the pandemic, uh, you know, response acts, and, you know, all of the stimulus bills that have been put in there, there have been actually provisions uh, seeking to expand uh, the use of HSA or the uh, flexibility, you know, of the use of HSAs there. So I, again, I don't think there's, there's never any, uh, you know, no risk associated with something like that. But I would say that there's very little risk of that. And if you look at the um, the background of American tax law, never has there ever been a tax uh, uh, change that has taken something away, right? So it's not like they're going to invalidate. A, uh, they may stop it moving forward, but they'd never take that benefit away once the money's in there. That's not how the government works. So how young should pre-retirees be doing this? Is this something uh, you should start when you're in your 20s? Yeah. So like I said, at kind of the uh, onset of the call, the very best time to start is now, right? Because time value of money, the earlier the start you start, the more, the higher the balance is going to grow, the more time that you have on your your side, the more contributions that you have, uh, the time to put them in and build and invest in and earn uh, returns on and so on and so forth. Now, with that being said, I understand that, you know, many people uh, have not had the ability or weren't aware of the opportunity taking HSAs. It's not like you started on, you know, your first job at age 18 and boom, you knew this stuff, right? So I would say it's really available to anyone. Uh, of any age up until the point you, again, as we talked about, when you enter into Medicare. So even if you're, you know, if you're 25 or 45 or 55, I think you you still obviously have an advantage. The reality, though, is that the people that are 25 have a much longer time horizon and likely have an ability to grow a balance much larger than, for instance, somebody that would be 55, just because of the the time horizon they have for lim- of contributions. But even to take, for instance, that age 55 year old, if let's say they were to go on to Medicare at a traditional age 65, 
they have 10 years worth of runway. Um, if they're on a family plan, and, and generally speaking, they, um, you know, the, the contribution limits get ratcheted up anywhere between, you know, $50, dollars uh, per year, uh, plus they're allowed to take care of a catch-up contribution. And if you were to, you know, again, take the family contribution limit, Plus, we'll just say the anticipated increases in those benefits or, or those contribution limits over the next 10 years, plus a catch-up contribution for each one of the spouses, it's nearing $10,000 that you could put away into uh, HSA, uh, an HSA every single year. Even on a 10-year uh, time horizon, that's $100,000. You know, recognizing that, you know, would I want an opportunity to enter into retirement with an extra $100,000 that is tax advantage for healthcare? Oh, yes, please. I'll take that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so it's never too late to start. I get that now. Um, and how can one use uh, one of these HSAs to build more savings through self-directed investment options? Is there, yep. is there anything on that side of it? Yes, so definitely one of the one of the uh, advantages to an HSA is that it's not just a savings vehicle, meaning that I, I don't just have to put it in a bank account and forget that it's there, right? Uh, I can actively invest, and any uh, again potentially any returns that are in that account can again be used for my benefit as a tax qualified uh, distribution for Medicare or for medical expenses. Right. And absolutely, that's the most powerful way of using it. But, you know, one of the things that I encourage people to do, if you stop and think about it, if I have an ability to put money away on a tax free basis and earn income uh, or uh, uh, returns on that money and build up a balance on a tax deferred basis, even if my advantages stopped there, right, it would look very much like an IRA. Right at that point, it would effectively be the same thing. I can put money away on a tax-free basis. I can save it for future, and I get do so on a tax-deferred basis. If I were to then take the money out in a future point, like in an IRA, I have to pay current income tax on that. However, this is the power of an HSA. HSAs go one step further than that because, again, if I'm using that money, if I end up using that money in my retirement for a, a just to supplement my retirement income. It's the same darn thing that you would have had with an IRA. However, there was no income restrictions on it, and there's no required, required minimum distributions from it like you would with an IRA. Even then, it would be more advantageous or potentially advantageous than an, an IRA contribution. But then the power comes in, well, if I do use it for a healthcare expense, now I get that triple tax advantage. So it's it's no worse off than you were with an uh, an IRA contribution, for instance, and it's actually uh, more powerful because it's triple tax advantage. Uh, similar circumstance comparing it to, for instance, a Roth, right? The Roth, you know, you're paying, you're making the contribution with after-tax dollars, right? So you don't get the contribution uh, deduction on the front end, but you get the advantage of earnings while you're growing the balance. And then obviously the distributions in the back end are tax-free. So it's, you know, IRAs and Roth IRAs, very powerful, um, but they're only double tax advantages, either on the front end or the back end. 
right? HSAs have that potential to be that triple tax advantage. So it, it really is unique in planning. And it's something to be considered, you know, as a way to, again, um, you know, plan for my healthcare spending. And, and if nothing else, it becomes a supplement to my retirement uh, income. Right, right. And you just pay taxes on it. So do people that have uh, these accounts in your bank, do they generally... Um, work with another bank or is, is the HSA bank their bank? They're- yeah. So the, the bank in our in HSA bank serves as kind of the record keeper for all the ins and outs. And then of course, if you were to have transactions, you know, whether you're, you know, you're taking a online reimbursement or uh, doing, you know, mobile transaction, or if you're swiping a debit card or those types of things, of course, we, we have to do all the normal functions that you would see in a normal, you know, debit uh, account. But then we also offer investments and uh, we offer investments with um, close partnerships with uh, several different entities. And we offer, for instance, uh, you know, no load mutual funds that are configured in a setup that is, uh, looks very similar to a 401k where you've got a menu of selections, you know, to choices at uh, across broad uh, cross section of and sectors to choose from and so on and so forth. And then we also have connection to um, uh, TD Ameritrade and uh, offering a self-directed brokerage account. And once you're over on the TDA side, um, quite honestly, you can purchase anything that would be allowed uh, for HSA investments. So if you want to buy individual stocks and bonds, if you wanted to buy mutual funds, uh, you know, if you wanted ETFs, whatever you wanted to buy, uh, you can get to, you know, last time I looked, it's it's hundreds of thousands of options, you know, because again, right. you have all your individual stocks and bonds, plus something like uh, 13,000 mutual funds, there's more than 2,600 that are no transaction fee funds. I mean, there's, there's almost limitless options that you would have at your disposal. You know, we find uh, most people, you know, if somebody's looking for a very specific investment or they want to put it into individual equities, that's the way those people go. The other people that are maybe like, maybe not quite as they're not as adventurous, or maybe they're just looking for the easy button. They just want to have a nice, uh, you know, setup, or maybe they're using target date funds or fund to funds or right, whatever it right. may be. And they just kind of set it on, on kind of that autopilot uh, concept, if you will. That's that appeals to a different type of audience. So we offer multiple uh, options. We we actually even have a third option that um, potentially allows the connection to uh, financial advisors for the financial advisor to be able to help you in in various ways as well too. So we have uh, several different flavors. Um, quite honestly, we encourage people to think and act in the long run, and that includes not only contributing money to the account, but also thinking about their future needs and planning and in, in using some of those dollars to invest. We, you know, most people don't put all of their HSA money in investments. They probably leave a certain amount as a, um, you know, we'll just say as a safety net of liquid right. funds they could access, you know, uh, right away. And we highly encourage that. But again, uh, you know, recognizing that most Americans potentially could use, uh, need hundreds of thousands of dollars in their retirement for their healthcare needs. It, it really, the only way that you're probably going to be able to uh, chip away at that fully is to invest, right? Because, uh-huh. you know, we all know that uh, as a bank, you know, we're limited to, you know, FDIC 
um, you know, insured accounts. We, we don't, you're not going to see stock market type returns. Uh, of course, you won't see a stock market type uh, risk associated with that. Uh, but, you know, again, we're, we're going to be, you know, very traditionalist in terms of bank rate of return, which is great for that safety net portion. But we encourage people to think, you know, long term and invest, you know, some of their HSA assets for the long haul and, uh, and probably do so with investments. So, I guess just on the larger scheme of social security and retirement planning, can you explain how HSAs fit within that? Great question. Um, I would say that what you have to look at is, you know, HSAs work really well uh, in the contribution components. Um, when if you're going to have somebody that's going to go on Medicare, uh, they're very powerful for contributing. But once you go into Medicare, obviously, you have to cease contributions. And then it really becomes a question around um, healthcare spending and decumulation. I think that, uh, you know, most Americans would in- inherently know that, hey, uh, the core tenant of retirement savings is, you know, socking money away at a regular interval, you know, saving for the future. And I think there's a lot of uh, thought and, and uh, efforts that go into the accumulation phase of retirement. But retirement spending doesn't end and I'm sorry, retirement planning doesn't end when we enter into retirement. No, It just changes a context, right? At that point, maybe it's less about the accumulation of assets and now about the decumulation of assets. And that's really where I think, um, you know, people need to spend a little bit of time thinking about not just what their income needs are today, but where their income needs and what uh, constitutes their income needs in those future years. For instance, Historically, uh, if you were to look at least on the average, your need around healthcare spending is going to go up as you age. In other words, as we get older and older, the propensity for us to actually need healthcare services and the cost of those expenses go up, right? So one of the interesting uh, you know, thought processes that should enter all retirees' minds is, hey, I've reached the pinnacle. I've, I've entered into retirement. i push the rock up the hill. Great. But don't stop thinking about, well, what is that runway going to look like in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? I mean, Americans are living longer and longer and the need to stretch those healthcare and uh, all retirement dollars out further is uh, of great need. For example, I mentioned one of the powerful attributes of an HSA is to pay for Medicare premiums as a qualified distribution, right? Very great way to stretch those healthcare dollars. But again, whether I elect to do that at the time that I incur the expense, just like we were saving, you know, saving up those receipts for future reuse, just because I'm paying Medicare premiums today, if I elect to do it under, and I'm just, let's say, for instance, I'm using, you know, probably the way that most of them are being paid is it's just being um, taken out of their social security, right? I mean, that's, that's the way most of the premiums are being right. collected. So I could each month go into my HSA and set up a reimbursement for those directly to me. And I'm, I'm going to be taking that at distribution uh, every single month. Do I want to do that? Maybe, maybe not. Because again, I could save that expenditure for a future time, right? And maybe, maybe I want to be able to do that at some point later in my life. Or maybe if I'm a really nice person, 
I want to pass because if I were to die with an HSA balance, that's going to become, unless you're passing it to a spouse, if I was passing it on to my children, for instance, if it has not been used for qualified medical expenses, it's going to be reported as income in the year they receive it, right? Just like any other retirement asset. However, if I would have saved up all those healthcare receipts and all those premium reimbursements that I could do, I could pass that on to them on a tax-free basis if I wanted to, right? Really? Yes, because I would have saved up all those receipts. So again, I, I'm not advocating that you yeah. want to do this in any, every circumstance right. and you may not have, you might need, you know, if you're living kind of, you know, security check to security check, you know, you may need to take that reimbursement. Yeah. You may yeah. need to stretch that healthcare down. But the point is, is HSAs afford that as an option to you. Right. Do they pay for long-term care? Yes, you can. You can actually use, you know, there's there's qualifications around the use of HSA dollars for long-term care. It, essentially, it has to meet the IRS definition and so on and so forth. But yes, you can uh, pay for long-term care, uh, uh, qualified long-term care uh, premiums and, ex- of course, related medical expenses. You can't use them for, like, for instance, if I uh, went into a, a nursing facility and I was just paying for uh, the normal cost of of the services for daily living, right? That's not a qualified medical expense, right? But if it's associated with providing me healthcare services, they are. So there's a specific nuances there. And I would definitely talk to, uh, you know, look to the IRS publications, uh, like for instance, IRS publication 502 and explain this, um, you know, talk to a elder care attorney or, you know, a tax professional, somebody that understands the nuances of what I'm talking about before just making an assumption that, oh yeah, if it's long-term care, I can pay it or not with an HSA. And I, I would just, you know, uh, caution people. Yes, it can, but it meets, has to meet certain criteria. What should, um, there's so much to talk to you about. We're getting, I think I might turn this into a continuing education course. (laughs) Um, What should employers know about HSA programs? Yeah, so I think there's a a great, um, I could talk for hours on on that topic. But again, under the context of what I was talking about for retirement, and, and I would specifically say people aging into Medicare, right? I think that that is a confusing, despite all the the years uh, that and and the hundreds of thousands of people that it impacts every single year, aging into Medicare. And actually, it's really millions of people. Actually, yeah. um, if you stop and think about it, there, that should be an easy transition because of how often it happens. Well, anybody that's ever gone through it, or anybody that's helped <laughs> anybody go through it, it's anything but. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. It can be really confusing. So um, give you an example, uh, you know, just understanding when am I going to be, uh, um, if I'm on a, a, an HSA plan and I might be uh, covered under my employer's health plan, when I age into Medicare, when should I stop contributing to my HSA, right? That's a very common question that would, uh, uh, every single person that meets that criteria is going to be faced with that. Well, just understanding, because as you know, eligibility to enroll in Medicare starts essentially six months before I turn 65, right? So there's a lot of confusion out there that, for instance, when people actually complete the process to actually enroll, they're like, oh, I got to stop contributing to my HSA. 
No, actually, it doesn't. You don't have to stop contributing to your HSA until your coverage actually begins. Until you're entitled to have claims actually paid on your behalf, which again, for most enrollees, would be the month that I turn 65 in a traditional Medicare enrollment uh, window. Right. That's when I have to contribute. So, for instance, my birthday is in June, right? So, and when I go on Medicare, uh, presumably, if I were to, you know, follow the traditional age sixty-five enrollment, uh, my coverage would start June first of you know, the year I turn sixty-five. Well, for the five months leading up to that, you know, January through May, if I was, uh, you know, otherwise qualified to put money in an HSA, I actually can contribute for those five months of the year. Right. So I can contribute five twelfth of the, the limit. Well, and also if you're st- I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no, Kevin, go ahead. But if you're still going to work, like you mentioned earlier, you get that one little exception with Medicare and you still are covered by an employer plan until yep. you lose that. And you want to be real careful because of the penalties. But so yeah. you can still contribute. Right. Yes, because so that's a, a, a common scenario that you're seeing more and more people that are opting or maybe they have to keep working past age 65, right? And maybe, for instance, uh, they don't want to go on to Medicare. Unfortunately, if they, if they were to uh, currently, if they were to apply for Social Security benefits, uh, one of the nuances of, of Social Security enrollment, and it's been like this since the early 80s, is a, a matter of just process within the government. If you Once you start uh, taking Social Security retirement income benefits, they automatically enroll you in Medicare Part A, right? So right. if that happens, whether you're still covered by your health plan at work, if you're covered by Medicare A, once that were to happen, that would indeed stop my ability to contribute. But what we're seeing more and more people doing today is actually saying, I don't want to take Social Security benefits. I want to maximize my contribution or my, my income for Social Security. I'm working anyways. I'm getting employer benefits. So what we're seeing more people do is say, I don't want to take Social Security. I'm going to defer it, right? I'm not going to take Medicare. I'm going to stay on my employer's health plan. And it might be 67, 68, 70, whatever age that you would want to. In that case, you can absolutely still keep contributing to HSAs. But even then, there's a a little nuance, right? So it has to do with retroactive Medicare coverage. And again, this is a uh, this is a little nuance <laughs> of if you were to actually defer taking Medicare and then enroll at a later date. One of the nuances that uh, is not really well known or understood is that they will make your coverage retroactive six months. <laughs> what would you would have to remember at that point is if you were in that scenario and you have deferred to, to start Social Security and deferred to start Medicare, you would need to stop contributing to your HSA six months before you actually did go on to Medicare because they're going to make it retroactive. Yeah. Or if you found yourself in that circumstance where they made it retroactive, you're going to want to call your administrator if you've been continuing to make HSA contributions and take those contributions out uh, at that point or or at least make sure that the you haven't exceeded the pro rata uh, amount that you can contribute for that given year. So again, these are weird nuances, right? right. Probably, and, and back to your question of what can employers do to help? 
help people understand this, communicate, educate, you know, and have them talk to, you know, entities such as ourselves to help people understand these things. Uh, because they're with more and more people working past age 65, more and more people, you know, staying on company benefits and not taking Medicare and not taking Social Security age 65. These are little nuances that can help them and hurt them. And, and it, the more we can make people aware of these things, the more people we can educate people on these uh, attributes, the better. It's just like Social Security, but you know, it just popped into my mind and you, because you, and, and this is going to be my last comment because we're going up on against a long time here. Um, but uh, when you mentioned the, the 401ks or the IRAs, so I would encourage people who are still working and younger to contribute to an HSA in addition to those IRAs. I mean, you have those RMDs and those yep. those get all tied up in the age 72 required distributions and the taxation of social security. Yep. And so I can see, I'm seeing the value here. And yeah, you would never hear anybody or well, hopefully you would never hear anybody tell you that you should do one or the other. Right. Really the, one of the, the core tenets of retirement preparation should be contribute as much as you possibly can to the best vehicles. And it might be all of the above. Right. Uh, right. And so if, if you have a, for instance, if you have a 401k at work or a 403b or whatever, maybe absolutely you should be considering making contributions, especially if you're getting matching contributions, right? right. Simultaneous to that, you should be also considering making contributions to uh, to HSAs or any other retirement entity vehicle that would um, be uh, at your disposal. You know, obviously, probably the most tax advantaged is the HSA, right? Uh, and probably the most we'll say the easiest is probably the 401k just because you're you're probably doing it through payroll deduction directly from your paycheck and not even thinking about it right yeah. so yeah. encourage everybody to consider all options uh, the hsas pay a very powerful role and uh, they may not be for everybody and they may not uh, fit everybody's circumstances but i encourage you to at least look at them okay well lastly i don't want to leave it out um how can people reach you, learn more about HSAs, uh, email, uh, website, whatever you'd like to provide. Yeah. Yeah. The, the best uh, resource is our website, which is simply hsabank.com. Uh, so uh, the acronym for health savings account, hsabank.com. And uh, through there, there's a tremendous amount of uh, resources. If you'd like to learn more, um, there's educational resources, there's calculators that you can actually use to look at, well, is a, is a high deductible health plan right for me? Well, if I have an HSA, how am I doing for retirement preparation, Can you know, contributing enough? We also have a very helpful uh, health and wealth index calculator, which is, uh, you know, the concept around the emergence of of uh, a convergence of health and financial well-being. Am I doing a good job in that uh, range? So we have prepared um, a, a way to measure those results and give insights how to take action. So tremendous amount of resources at the disposal. You don't have to be a customer of ours to actually access those. And like I said, the best uh, way to uh, access those is through the website. And through there, you can also click on the contact us or call us and we can help you answer some of these questions for yourself. Okay. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today, Kevin. Um, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please tune in every Wednesday for new episodes and our expert guests share a wide variety of knowledge on all retirement 
planning aspects. See you next week. Thank you.